He catches up to me and tells me, I'm not a creep, but you're too beautiful to let go. I realized at this point that the car was following me, that there was no one in sight to notice, and I needed to get away. I was so scared I couldn't speak. Listener discretion advised. You're just moments away from true tales of terror that will leave you breathless. From Disturbed Media, I'm your host, Chad, and this is Disturbed. This episode of Disturbed is brought to you by Care Of, a wellness brand that makes it easy to maintain your health goals with a customized vitamin plan that helps you feel your best today and supports you long-term. For 50% off your first Care Of order, visit TakeCareOf.com and use promo code DISTURBED50. Welcome back in, everyone. Thanks for joining me. And here we are again bringing you more of that true horror that you love. Our first experience comes to us from Reddit user Well Alice. And sometimes, that anxiety you have is for good reason. And join me in welcoming our newest narrator to the show, Tanya Eby. Reading through these posts has made me think about my own experiences and I can't get this one out of my head, which happened to me, 25 female, around five months ago, so I thought, why not share? For a bit of backstory, relevant to why I didn't freak out sooner, I live in a big city which is mostly a friendly place, but like all cities, has its rough areas. There are two main spots that are known to be particularly rough, and for the first 14 years of my life, I lived in one of these areas. So, though it can naturally be a bit uncomfortable, I tend to be pretty unbothered by drunks slash addicts slash creeps talking to me in the street. Anyway, I moved from one rough area and moved to a safer one, but it's very near to the other, arguably worse, rough area. I know both of these areas pretty well too, which helped with what happened five months ago. So I had some stuff going on in my personal life and go through phases of bad anxiety as it is, I had to make the decision to take some time off of work but wanted to try and stay in a routine slash be productive. What do productive people do? They go to the dentist way past when they should have. So I made my appointment and when it rolled around, I walked there. My dentist is in the rough area that I now live close to. On my route home, I have to walk past a pub on a main road which has a super bad reputation. Anything you can think of, it's happened inside or just outside of this pub. Stabbings, shootings, drug raids, the lot. How it's still allowed to run? I have no idea. Anyway, I noticed someone sat on the bench outside the pub. I have my headphones in but see him saying something, so I assume he's asking me for a lighter or something and take an earplug out. He asks me if I want to join him for a drink. This was around 11.30 a.m., by the way. I just slightly laughed and said, no thanks. Now, as soon as I got a few steps away, I had this bad feeling, like... Something was just not right. But as mentioned, I was going through a phase of bad anxiety, so I chalked it up to being that. After about two minutes, I go to turn left, 
and see the man walking in my direction in the corner of my eye. I told myself it was nothing, but took my headphones out anyway, just in case, as I was about to walk through a narrow road that leads to car park and is always very empty. All of a sudden, I hear him shouting at me, Hey, miss, I'm talking to you, wait! The usual stuff. He catches up to me and tells me, I'm not a creep, but you're too beautiful to let go. I try and stay polite, but also make it clear, I'm not interested. I have no idea why, but seem to have lost the ability to lie. So when he asked if I was single, I said yes. When he asked what I was doing that night, a Friday, I said I had no plans. I 100% know I should have lied. And as the truth came out, I was really annoyed with myself, but hey-ho. He seems to get the message, and I say I really have to go, so carry on walking, thinking that's the end of it. So I make my way across the big car park, also worth noting here that I can only go two ways, where I'm heading or back the way I came. At the end of the car park is a cycle-slash-pedestrian lane that has a massive wall on one side with two lots of steps that lead to a car park to a retail park and bushes on the other and is super narrow. Sorry, if that's confusing, it's hard to explain. I get into the lane and hear footsteps like someone is running, probably a jogger. I'm being paranoid until right behind me I hear, at least give me your number. I finally start to panic and realize actually it's not my anxiety. This is shady as fuck. I give him a number but change the last digit and this guy proceeds to attempt to drop call me. Clearly my phone doesn't ring and he then starts getting annoyed saying I need to give him the right number. I apologize, what the fuck? He then has his hand basically on my phone, stood way too close to me and orders me to type his number in and drop call him. Awesome. Creep now as my number. Still not enough for him, I reiterate that I'm on my way somewhere and seriously need to get going. What happened next is honestly a blur and I must have had a massive adrenaline rush. He said something, but I can't remember what. I think I sort of blacked out and then he grabbed me by my elbow. Next thing I knew, I was at the top of one of the sets of steps that lead to a much busier and open space. I had obviously panicked, yanked my arm free, and legged it. Pretty impressive how fast I got up all those steps, considering I haven't been to the gym in months. Silver linings. Luckily, one of my friends works in one of the stores in the retail park, so I walked over to it practically looking over my shoulder the whole time. I find my friend, visibly shaking, can barely speak. She asks if I'm okay, and I just burst into tears. I gather my thoughts and say, what just happened, and try to downplay it, saying, I'm being dramatic, etc. He's been calling my phone this whole time. She takes my phone and notes his number, then blocks him. She takes me to the staff room and convinced me to file a police report, which I do. Unfortunately, though, I found out street harassment is not actually illegal where I live. But because he made physical contact, it might not be a complete lost cause. Please tell me they will be in touch. Now, fast forward until around two weeks ago. My mom's friend, who knew about what happened, sent her an article and asked her to show me. I genuinely couldn't believe my eyes. It was about a man who had followed a girl and then assaulted her in the same rough area. At the end of the article is a picture. It's him. I haven't heard anything from the police, and since he had already been charged, I figured there wasn't any need for me to contact them again. I wish they had taken what I said more seriously. Though, as I specifically remember my friend saying, someone younger or less used to that behavior might not have run or got away, which was what convinced me to file the report in the first place. My heart goes out to the girl, 
and although currently in jail, I really hope neither of us ever have to face him again. His charge was pretty serious, so he will be there for a long time, thankfully. If anyone is interested, there is a petition to make street harassment illegal in the UK that is growing but still needs more signatures. Happy to provide a link. Sorry about the length. Edit. Wow, so I've just had a look at the articles again and saw that there's two victims. He received a few months for the second victim, but it was very similar to what I experienced. He has already pleaded guilty to both, but now I'm wondering how many people he truly approached. It's bound to be more than the three of us. It makes me feel sick and I will definitely be getting back in contact with the police about my experience with him. Support the show and get your very own shout-out, ad-free listening, bonus episodes, and more for as little as $3 a month at disturbedpodcast.com support. Next up, we hear from Reddit user Abigail Williams 1692 and that lonely walk back to your car can sometimes turn terrifying. Performing this experience is Sarah Thomas. When I was 16 years old, I decided to surprise my parents with a bouquet of flowers for Valentine's Day. We've always celebrated this as a family holiday rather than a romantic one. But my high school was within walking distance of a hospital boasting a gift shop that sells floral arrangements. Between classes during the week of Valentine's Day, I set off for the hospital by my lonesome, cutting across campus to walk through a network of side roads populated with specialty doctor's office that keep odd hours. The sort of buildings where traveling doctors mainly hold surgery consultations or perform small procedures a few times a month. The trip there passed without incident. As I was walking back through said deserted roads with a vase of flowers in tow, I noticed an unkempt 1990s car close behind me. While my memory of the car is hazy, I am left with the impression that there were at least two men within whose faces I couldn't see. Initially, I assumed that the driver was simply afraid of hitting me, the reason they weren't passing by. So I made a point of dramatically trudging further into the grassy shoulder of the road, demonstrating to them they could safely drive ahead. They still refused to pass me by, continuing to creep along behind at a slow pace. Beginning to suspect that the driver was more interested in me than a destination, I began to walk faster. The car confirmed my suspicions by matching my speed. Despite the impracticality of my shoes and the threat of spilling water from my vase, I commenced to run as fast as I possibly could. They hit the gas and again matched my speed. I realized at this point that the car was following me, that there was no one in sight to notice, and I needed to get away. I bolted into the first parking lot I saw. The car turned in after me. Despite there being only two or three cars in the spacious front parking lot, and there being no other sign of activity at the office, the car did not stop to park in the numerous spaces available there. The driver instead opted to pursue me into the partially under construction back portion of this lot behind the office. 
It passed every available parking space to corner me against a pile of debris and rubble from the construction, coming to a diagonal stop less than three feet away. Before anyone could emerge from the vehicle, I somehow managed to scale the small prominence of rubble against my back, vase in hand, and jump from its peak to land painfully on the other side, which fortunately was a plot of undeveloped land within sight of my high school campus. I took a quick peek back over my shoulder to see if they were still in pursuit. But the car had sped off after I reached the top of the rubble pile and was now nowhere in sight. They hadn't parked in the lot at all. They had no business there. The driver was following me. I sprinted at top speed and didn't stop until I was soaked with sweat in the dead of winter and panting in the student lounge among my classmates, who didn't seem to give a damn when I told them. Possibly because our hometown is supposedly a human trafficking capital, and the crime rate is outrageous. Although I am convinced that this was something more informal than human trafficking, as the dilapidated car suggested poverty. And I've read that human trafficking usually arises through grooming and not being snatched off the street. In retrospect, I should have told an adult, alerted campus security, and called the non-emergency line of the local police station. But I was young, foolish, insecure, and afraid of getting in trouble for leaving campus when I didn't have a signed permission form permitting me to do so. I kept trying to convince myself that I had misread the situation or was overreacting. I don't know what I would have even told the police had I called them, as I was entirely ignorant on the subject of cars and couldn't have identified the make of it if I had been asked. And I couldn't see the faces of the occupants. I was also worried that my parents would restrict my already extremely limited freedoms if they knew I had been in any danger. I feel horrible for having never told anyone and earnestly hope that my secrecy hasn't led to someone being hurt or killed. I believe the only missing people, aside from runaway children or elderly adults with dementia in this city right now though, are men, aside from one woman a few decades ago. Whoever followed and tried to trap a 16-year-old girl with flowers at a doctor's office just before Valentine's Day of 2016? Let's not meet. Warmer weather is upon us, and that means a changing of our day-to-day routines and a chance to refresh them, along with your lifestyle and health goals. Healthy doesn't have to be hard, and Care-of makes it easy. All of Care-of's products are formulated with good-for-you, clean ingredients that are backed by science. The important part, to me anyway, is how transparent about the research and sourcing behind each of their products they are. Okay, but so how does it work? All you need to do is log on and take the quiz. It's like getting a one-on-one consultation with a nutritionist without leaving your home. From there, you get recommendations for your unique health needs that are personally tailored to you. Now, the online quiz is super easy to do. I went to the website and did mine in under five minutes. I answered some questions about my diet, lifestyle, and health concerns, and soon after, I had my personal recommendations. My personalized vitamin packs are on their way to me right now. Disturbed listeners have access to this special offer. For 50% off when you place your first care of order, visit TakeCareOf.com and use promo code DISTURBED50. 
Once again, that's half off your first care of order when you go to takecareof.com and enter Disturbed50 at checkout. 24 hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real-life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris, and this is my story, Conning the Con. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. Now back to the show. And finally, our title story comes to us from Reddit user Tamira is Redditing. And it's here where we meet Wendell. Performing this experience is Addison Peacock. Wendell was a panhandler near my college. I always gave him my change when I had extra. Usually I keep a hard rule not to give money to individuals because I give it to known local charities instead where I can be sure the money is going to a specific cause. This one panhandler, though, he always sang opera music, quite beautifully, all things considered. Even though it was clear he was begging for money due to poverty and homelessness, not busking for tips, I always thought it was admirable that he was trying to perform a service in exchange for the money, and I don't like carrying coins, so I gave what I could. It wasn't much, barely a dollar each time. I would occasionally strike up conversations with Wendell, even if I didn't have any money for him. He liked to make students laugh with funny impressions or jokes. He was a bit older, I'm an undergrad, he was probably 40s to 50s, so we'd mostly have quick chats about the news or the weather or whatever. Nothing deep. Sometimes he'd randomly share something so intimate that I'd feel obligated to reciprocate with something at least superficially personal. E.g., he'd blurt out that he almost went to college on a baseball scholarship, but drugs ruined everything. I'd be like, oh, wow, sorry to hear that. I play volleyball. Not for a scholarship, though. See you around, okay? Once Wendell called me over while I was walking with a professor slash my advisor, and I didn't want to be rude, so I went over just to say a quick hello and introduced my advisor. When we walked away, my advisor was pretty clearly horrified and asked why Wendell knew me by name. I explained our little friendship. He said the homeless in this city weren't like the homeless in my smaller town back home. I figured he was being elitist, and I think he could tell I hadn't taken him seriously, because after we dropped the subject, just before I left, 
He reiterated that I shouldn't forge friendships with the homeless population in this city or even give them money because the chronically homeless, the ones on the streets enough that you could get to know them, tended to have criminal or addictive histories. I was surprised because my advisor is usually pretty progressive and compassionate, so I appealed to him with, Wendell's a victim of a post-capitalist society and all the other things I'd learned in his very own classes, but he wasn't having any of it. Basically saying, however Wendell became chronically homeless, now he was, and I should act accordingly. So my professor strongly implored me not to continue even talking to Wendell at all. I kind of shook my head, thinking, okay, boomer, and if anything, felt fortified by the warning. Like it was a confirmation that I was a radical doing the right thing, leading a new path, breaking down barriers, bettering society. I got closer to Wendell and shared more about my life with him. But the very next time I talked to Wendell, he was really irritable and distant, and I wasn't sure why. Until he said, So, your boyfriend, you two live together or what? And I had no idea what he was talking about. I said, What boyfriend? And he said, The guy I met from yesterday you were walking down the street with. And I laughed, explaining it wasn't my boyfriend, it was just my academic advisor. Then all of a sudden, he wasn't irritable anymore. He was as chatty as he'd ever been. I probably should have taken that as a red flag, but I didn't think about Wendell much at all then. I only saw him once or twice a week, and only for a few minutes. It was around then that Wendell started bringing me gifts. I'd pass him, and he'd have a flower for me, or a metal machine piece. I never refused because I figured it was a means of preserving his dignity when accepting money, like with his opera singing. One of my roommates did remark on the flower once, and when I explained, she said it was weird. I thought she was also just being elitist and that I was enlightened, bridging the class divide and superior to her neoliberal paranoia. I mean, come on, it was just a flower. My advisor clocked all this, so brought it up with me again a while later, saying he was worried I was being manipulated. I tried to tell him about Wendell's opera singing and impressions and how he even almost went to college, but then I remembered the reason he lost his baseball scholarship, and I stopped short. Looking at it through that lens kind of made me reconsider the whole thing. I thought about what my professor had said, sparing the details, we did talk for like a half an hour, and I finally connected the dots that Wendell did have a history of drug use, and he did sometimes mention how a previous girlfriend overreacting to something he'd done had derailed his life besides the drugs so I decided maybe I should think about distancing myself a little. But very shortly after, the pandemic hit and classes went virtual, so to save on rent, I went home to my parents' house. Still in the state, but not near campus at all. About three weeks into being home, I was watching a friend's Insta story when I heard Wendell singing opera in the background, and I thought, oh, I forgot all about him. I hope he's doing all right. And that was that. I kept watching different stories. Later that night, Something about the story kind of stuck in my gut. It had popped into my mind a few times subconsciously and I'd ignored it, but it kept coming back, so I decided to go and watch it again. That's when I realized my friend's video wasn't from our college town. It was from my much smaller hometown, which is nowhere near the college. That freaked me out a little, but I figured everyone moved around when the pandemic hit. My town isn't that small. It isn't that far from the college. It was probably a coincidence. I really wanted to mention it to my parents, but they had always warned me against talking to homeless people besides, like, can I buy you a meal? So I felt too embarrassed to explain the situation to them. Especially since it was probably a coincidence, and I would sound so conceited if I were like, he definitely followed me because aren't I just so great that he's probably obsessed with me? We have a type 1 diabetic in the family, 
so we took quarantining very seriously. I figured I'll never see him anyways. I'm not going out anytime soon. It doesn't matter where he is. And nothing happened. Well, one thing. A girl from my high school who also ended up at my college called me and, in summary, said, This is going to sound really weird, but I feel like I should say something. I was downtown and a beggar asked me about you. Like, specifically you. He knew you were on club volleyball. He knew your major. I didn't tell him anything, but I thought you should know. I was pretty alarmed at first, because how would he know I know this girl? But once we talked, I learned she'd been wearing a sweatshirt from our college. So I thought about it and decided he probably saw that sweatshirt, figured she might know me from college since we were both from this town, and was just trying to find out how I was doing. I thought it was sweet. Also a little weird, but he was a little weird. That was part of his charm. I thanked her, but told her not to worry about it. Besides, I wasn't in town much longer anyways. I had decided to go live back near campus. It was impossible to get my coursework done with my whole family around all day. So I went back to campus a while later. Didn't think about Wendell at all, until I saw him back on the same corner just a week after I returned to campus. Okay, even I knew at that time that something was wrong. I stopped giving him money, stopped talking to him, but I was so humiliated by how high and mighty I had been, insisting that nothing was wrong and everyone else was being paranoid and elitist, that I decided not to tell anyone what I had noticed. I was already barely leaving my apartment, never going on campus, and his usual spot was right by campus. I felt bad about potentially hurting his feelings or reading too far into the situation, but I figured he'd get the message, and better safe than sorry. After finals, I decided to visit my brother, in a different state. His roommate had moved home, leaving an extra bed, so I drove up to his place to celebrate the end of the year and get away from it all. About the ninth day in, I was woken up way earlier than usual. When my brother isn't working or in school, he sleeps until noon, to the sound of my brother talking at the door. I got up to see what was going on because we weren't seeing anyone. We stayed totally quarantined. His state was being hit hard. My brother was talking nicely to someone outside through a crack in the door, but when he turned, he looked royally pissed at me. He turned back outside and said, hold on here. Closed the door despite the other guy protesting, but I couldn't hear what he said exactly. My brother immediately got in my face and, whisper yelling, said, Mom and Dad are going to kill you. I had no idea what he was talking about, but my first thought was the cops had come to arrest me for something. It was the only logical thought I could generate first thing in the morning. The only thing I could imagine being arrested for was my fake ID, which I only even used to get into concerts and obviously none lately, so I was really in shock but my brother was still going. As best I can remember, because I was panicked at this point, he was saying, and I'm gonna kill you, this is so not cool, you didn't even ask? I wouldn't have said yes anyway, but you didn't even think to ask? I realized that didn't align with being arrested, so finally I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, you're dating a 40-year-old guy? Older? 45 maybe? Of all the people out there, I mean, Jesus, dad's gonna kill you and then have a heart attack and die, which will kill mom and you invited him to my house while we're supposed to be social distance? He too can go to a hotel because he isn't coming in here. I wasn't a dick to him out of respect for you, but if he doesn't leave now, that's gonna change. So, I had no idea what he was talking about. None. I hadn't connected any of the pieces yet, because you've gotta remember, Wendell was such a small part of my life until this point. I almost never saw him or thought about him. My whole world had been turned upside down by a pandemic in the preceding few months. He was background noise, 
faint background noise compared to all the other stuff I had going on. So I just said the first thing that came to mind. Dude, I don't know why you're getting so mad at me. I don't have a boyfriend. I don't know what you're talking about. Someone's got the wrong house. My brother looked like he was ready to rip my face off. He said, we're adults. Come on, don't fucking lie to me. I'm not mom and dad. We can't deal with this if you're going to lie to my face. And I said I wasn't lying. And I think he could tell from my expression and tone that I genuinely was serious. So now he was as confused and irritated as I was. And he was like, he didn't just vaguely say he was here for his girlfriend. He used your name. He rattled off a ton of very exact info. I think he said, yeah, he said you guys had a fight and he was here to work things out. Now I've been looking for a boyfriend for a long time. So I was half thinking, huh, maybe dreams do come true. Might as well see who it is. But I was also starting to feel a bit sick in the pit of my stomach because it would be one thing if this happened on campus or back home, but I had changed states. My brother moved to this state for school and I don't know anyone here but him and his friends. So I finally did the obvious thing and looked through the peephole. I almost didn't recognize him at first because he had showered, shaved, and changed into clean clothes for the first time since I'd known him. But sure as shit, it was Wendell, standing on my brother's doorstep, hundreds of miles from his original corner. I was so scared I couldn't speak. My heart was pounding like I was slipping under deep water with my legs tied. I just backed away from the door and sat down on the couch and tried to collect myself. My brother thought this was my affirming that there really was some secret older boyfriend who had just made himself known, so it took a minute for him to cut off his ranting and his dramatic, what will grandma think stuff. Finally, he realized I was tearing up and he sat down, calmed down and apologized and said we'd figure it out. And I whispered, still out of breath, no, you don't understand. He followed me here. My brother still didn't get it. What, you didn't want him to come here? What was your fight about? He asked, still thinking the guy was my boyfriend. I managed to repress my panic enough to explain the broad strokes to him, but I don't think he fully grasped how creepy it was in the moment because he was like, you're shitting me, that's hilarious, I'll take care of this. He went to the door and called from behind it. Yo, just checked, she's not here, must have packed out this morning. You should do the same. I'm taking the social distancing real serious. And winked at me. That's when, as my brother says when he tells this story, it got real. Wendell said, You're lying. I heard her in there. Tell her I'm sorry. I don't know why she's been avoiding me, but I got cleaned up for her and I'll take her anywhere she wants to go. Tell her that. Tell her. And don't lie. I'll know if you lie. That rubbed my brother the wrong way and he said back, Bro, you're not taking her anywhere. Now get off my deck before we have a problem. And Wendell sounded like he was walking away, but instead he was going over to the window. When I saw him staring, he looked different than I'd ever seen him even then a few seconds earlier when I glanced through the peephole. His clothes were clean, but they didn't fit or match. Eyes bugged out of his head, white stuff caked on the corners of his mouth I hadn't noticed at first, shaking, just kind of disconnected from reality. He started banging on the window, shouting things like, that's my girlfriend, you can't keep her in there, you little bitch ass. Let her out, you bitch ass. Let her out, let her out, I'm coming, baby, I'm coming. I couldn't tell if it was meant as a threat or a reassurance. I was so scared, I was too scared to run or even move. I think my brother was almost as surprised by the sudden outburst. He was rolling up his sleeves like he was preparing to go out there, and I was trying to make my voice work to beg him not to. But I was so anxious, scared, embarrassed, and sad that I had missed all the signs leading up to this, all the opportunities to prevent it, that our friendship was never the wholesome thing I thought it was, though of course that's something I had already begun to grapple with before this day, 
and had so many thoughts swirling in my head, fear being chief among them. All I could do was scream. Not words, just, ah, and cover my ears to drown the whole situation out. Before my brother could charge out the door, he's an athletic guy, but I don't think he's ever actually been in a physical fight. Wendell punched through the window. Nothing actually happened when he punched through, and there was an eerie moment of silence where nobody moved. I think even I stopped screaming. But when he pulled his hand back, all hell broke loose. A fair amount of blood started spurting out when he pulled his hand back through the glass. The things he was shouting started to make even less sense, along the lines of, Look what you did to me. This is a test. I told you I couldn't be stopped, bitch ass. And the look in his eyes got even more distant. I think the sight of the blood, which has always made my brother really squeamish, made him realize this was real, and he finally yelled, Damn it, sis, call 911, while he leaned against the door, which Wendell was now repeatedly running into, even though he was nowhere close to breaking it down. I don't even remember making the call, but apparently I did because within 10 minutes the police arrested Wendell without resistance. He kept trying to tell them his girlfriend was trapped in the house and he'd come all this way to save her. My poor brother was even momentarily handcuffed and had to explain he hadn't taken me hostage. Probably one of the most haunting memories of the whole event is, as they carted Wendell away for a rest, he started singing opera music. I've learned a lot of important common sense and life lessons from this saga, but most of all, Wendell, let's not meet. If you have an experience you'd like to share with us, just leave a voicemail at 701-354-3667. Any creepy, scary, or unexplained experience, I want to hear it. You can also email your story to us at disturbedpod20 at gmail.com. And before we go, it's time for our promo of the week. Hello everyone, this is Robin Warder, host of the true crime podcast, The Trail Went Cold. If you grew up watching the classic television show Unsolved Mysteries, then this is the podcast for you. Each week, I profile a new unsolved murder or missing persons case and share all the baffling details. Afterward, I provide my own personal analysis and theories about what might have happened. This is a show for true crime buffs who are fascinated by cold cases and love to discuss them and pick them apart in an attempt to figure out the truth. So be sure to check out our podcast to learn about some truly bizarre unsolved mysteries where the trail went cold. If you love our show, consider leaving a five-star rating and review. Follow or subscribe wherever you're listening right now so you never miss an episode. And help us grow by sharing the show with a few friends. Musical score by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all. Yeah.